like to take your pew Bibles again and turn to page 307. Second Kings chapter 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophet who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. And then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophet also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. 
And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they, he, they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent, therefore, fifty men, and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the, wa- so the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. And he went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord, Two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Your word, O God, given, preserved for us, for our profit, our instruction, our correction, our training in righteousness, that we might become mature for your service. Bless, O holy God, this your word to our hearts and minds, and guide my thoughts and my words for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray. There's a question that rings from this chapter, rings across ancient Israel. The question Where is the God of Elijah? But what kind of a question is that? What did Elisha mean when he said, Where is the God of Elijah? Did he not know with the psalmist that God is in heaven? Was it a question posed in doubt, in uncertainty? Was it a question posed with an expectant hope? Was it a pedagogic question to ask the sons of the prophet? Catechism. Where's God? Does he continue to work? It's a tough question for us to grasp. At least it was for me trying to prepare to preach on this. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in passing this question down to us? Has this question been thought or voiced before? Go back half a millennia, more than half a millennia, as Moses 
was judged by a holy God and not allowed to take the people of promise into the land of promise. And Moses was taken on the other side of the Jordan. Would there not have been the question, where is the God of Moses? And God provided an answer by giving Joshua. And here he provides an answer by giving Elisha. And then there would be later times when that question would be posed. I could imagine that group of small group of disciples in the upper room wondering, what next? How can we proceed with Jesus being taken from us? What did Jesus possibly mean when he said, you will do greater things than I have done? Where is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ today? I think that's the question that's being posed here. But in order to get at the significance of this question, let's look at the rest of the text. And one of the things that we see in Hebrew narrative is repetition. And the significance of repetition has something to do with the major text, major point the author is trying to get out of it. And what do we see in terms of repetition here? Three times, Elijah politely asks Elisha to stay put. Perhaps he wanted to meet his maker alone. What we do know from the text is Elijah knew he was going to be taken. Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken the sons of the prophet in, uh, in uh, Bethel knew he was going to be taken. The sons of the prophets in Jericho knew he was going to be taken. Repetition. What do we get? What, what is the significance of three times Elijah saying, stay put, and then three times, Elijah saying three times, stay put, and then Elisha saying, Nope. And it's a strong vow. I will not forsake you. I think the English word could be a little strengthened. Forsake you. Um, what's behind this? First Kings 19, which I spared reading for you. First Kings 19. The prophet Elijah has just come off his great victory at Mount Carmel. The fire had come down and consumed not only the offering that was there, but all of the water that Elijah had ordered thrown on the offering. And then the prophets of Baal were all slaughtered at the brook. And Elijah assumed, we've turned the tables. Things are going to be changed and different from now on. And he goes back and he hears the word, or he hear, hears the threats from Jezebel, Ahab's Baal-honoring queen. And he sees this wasn't the victory I thought it was. 
and he runs away to protect his life. And he's down there in the wilderness, and he asks God to end it for him. And God refuses. He says, you go back to work. I got three things for you to do. You got to anoint the new king of Syria who's going to judge my people for their Baal worship. You've got to anoint a new king of Israel, Jehu, who's going to judge Ahab's uh, house for their treason against me. And you've got to anoint Elisha. And next thing you see is he's coming along and there's Elisha plowing and he throws his mantle over Elisha. And Elisha, what does he do? He says, I will follow you. And he takes his oxen and he slaughters his oxen. He takes his plow and he burns it and he follows. That's probably... 10, 12 years before this passage we just read. Did he know that he had an assignment? By golly, yes, he knew he had an assignment to be the man of God, to follow in the shoes of Elijah. So, uh, what is he determined to do? To learn all he can from his master to learn all he can from his Lord Elijah until his Lord is taken from him. I think the first point of this here, I've actually got four points I want to tell you about Elisha, the man of God, his persistence, his um, request, his seeing, and then his action. But the persistence reminds me of Jacob wrestling with that man who turned out to be God before he met his brother Esau. It reminds me of the persistence that Paul writes about for the people of God when Paul writes about how he has not yet attained or but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The persistence of a man of God that is given here for our instruction, I believe, and was followed by Jesus on the way to the cross. Right in the division between the Galilean ministry and the trip to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Later, after a brief trip there, and he left because of uh, they tried to kill him, and he's on his way back, and his disciples say, they just tried to kill you? You're going back there? Remember, Thomas says, let's all go with him so we can die with him. The persistence of Jesus. But Elisha had persistence. And then what's next? After 
he persists to the end and Elisha just says, okay, you're here. What do you want? What can I do for you? And he says, please, may I have a double portion of your spirit. Now, is that a matter of pride? Is that a matter of one-upsmanship? He already knew he was Elijah's successor. But knowing the assignment and thinking you can handle the assignment are two different things. What Elisha was asking here was asking out of a humble heart or strength to do what he knew he couldn't do on his own. That should always be a characteristic of the people of God. We can never really handle the commandments on our own. We always need help. We need what Paul prayed for for the Ephesian churches, where he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I believe it was something like that, that Elisha was asking if Elijah could help God give that to him. And we see a rather um, puzzling response of Elijah. Elijah says... You've asked a hard thing. He might as well have said, you've asked for an impossible thing from a human. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Now, what's the meaning of that little word, see? Is he talking about actually just watching Elisha jug go up in the whirlwind? Or does the word see here have a larger meaning of understand? Could a prophet of the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, could a prophet like that function without seeing who really was in charge, and where the real strength of the people of God lay. No. And Elijah is saying, you've got to be able to understand the spiritual truth. of You've got to be able to understand spiritual warfare. You've got to be able to understand where real strength comes from if you're going to be able to do this job. And you know what? I think he passed that test. I think he passed that test because what happens next is, as Elijah is taken up, you hear these words of Elisha, my father, my father, the horses and chariots, or the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What's he saying? 
He's saying that the real strength of the people of God, of Israel, is in God's hands. Mediated through the servant of God using the word of God. He's saying that the way that the word of God is handled and respected within the people of God, that's where the strength lies. He's saying, it's not the military prowess of the king of Israel. It's rather their obedience to the word of God as the men of God apply it to the hearts of the people of God. Elisha saw that. And that was what was essential for him to be able to function as the successor to Elijah. Let's go on to the next one, which really takes us back to the question, where is the God of Elijah? Because as as Elisha sees Elijah taken up and then gathers his mantle that falls from him, I guess the mantle, Elijah's mantle, was useless in heaven, um, in my prep for this, I discovered that, if, that, uh, that um, Spurgeon was not interested in any relics unless he could possibly see Elijah's mantle. Uh, that would be the one relic he would like to see. But Elisha picks it up and then takes it and copying his master, strikes the water But as he strikes the water, he says, where is the God of Elijah? And remember my question, what's the nature of this question? Where is the God of Elijah? Was was this question one of dubious whether or not the miracle would work uh, uh, under his hands? Was it a question of expectant hope? Let me suggest to you, that what it really was, was a matter of faith in action. You know, there's something called the foolishness of preaching. And if you try preaching, you will understand why it feels so foolish. But what are you to do? You're to keep acting in faith that God will honor his word. Elijah taking, Elisha taking Elijah's mantle and striking the water was a way that he stepped forth in confident faith to do the work that God had called him to do. So this persistence And there are times when a preacher really struggles to figure out what is it God wants to say to my people from this text. And you wrestle with it. And you need persistence. And there are times that persistence and then there is this request for a double portion. That doesn't happen once in a preacher's life. 
That happens over and over again every Sunday. That is to say, before Sunday, especially Saturday night. And the um, uh, confident action going forth, you just have to believe that God's Word as applied to this couple's marital difficulties will work. That as they humble themselves and ask forgiveness, that God will grant grace and growth. You have to act in faith that the Word of God is true and powerful and will do what God says it will do. We have two examples of what happened immediately for Elisha. Well, maybe three. One, the prophets, the sons of the prophets didn't believe him when they said, when he said it's no use going to look for Elijah. But the one after that, the land, the, the city of Jericho, see, this happened just across from Jericho. The city of Jericho was put under a curse by Joshua. Joshua said the person who rebuilds it will lose their firstborn and their, la- uh, uh, their, young- their oldest and their youngest sons. So when does Jericho get rebuilt in the pagan tre- treasonous days of King Ahab? At the cost of the oldest and the youngest son of the one who rebuilt it. But the curse has not yet been removed. The water causes miscarriages for animals, for land, for people. And Elisha is asked to see whether or not God would do anything. And he acts in confident faith, I guess under God's instruction. I can't imagine him just dreaming that up. Uh, And he acts. And what happens? The curse is turned to blessing. That's what happens in the ministry of a man of God who who wields the, the word of God. The curse is turned to blessing. But there's another aspect of the uh, of a faithful man of God. I had one dear old lady who came to my church in New Jersey. She was a prayer warrior. I was so glad she came. Years later, she told me that the first day she visited, I was preaching on hell. Here's a guy who's willing to preach on judgment. And she joined the church, and she prayed for me. The next illustration here in this text is, I, I think it's sad that our translations say boys. The scholars I'm following say youths. It could even be young toughs. 
It could be, it, it's probably at least 10 to 12, and it could be older. And it wasn't just a few boys. It wasn't as if Elisha was walking in the midst of the marketplace and a few boys came up and laughed at him and said, you're bald, go on up, get out of here. No, it seems like there was a much larger group and they were older. And Bethel is the seat of the false worship of Yahweh God through the calves that Jeroboam had set up. It was a place where the ministry of Elijah and now Elisha was not appreciated. They, those youths could have been sent out there by their elders. Go after this guy that's going to follow Elijah. We don't want him. And when they get there, they call him Baldy. Why? We don't know. But maybe he had a Nazarite vow and his hair was very long and they were reversing it, calling him Baldy. They, they said, go up. What did they mean? Go up like your master Elijah. Go up to Bethel and worship the golden calf. Go up the road. He was outside the city on his way away and they came out and accosted him. Go up. Get out of here. Scram. We don't know. But what did Elijah, Elisha was accosted by what would effectively be a small mob. And he was alone. What's he do? What the psalmists do. In the uh, imprecatory psalms, call down God to take care of the situation. And another miracle happens. As far as we know, these boys' youths were not actually killed we're not told they were killed. There were 42 of them mauled. Of them, 42 of them, that means there were more. Judgment. Mocking is a terribly serious thing. Mocking a servant of God is something that needs to be guarded against. But the servant of God has got to be faithful, not only to bless, but also to warn. I don't want to quite end this sermon without pointing out the frequent use of the word take. Do you know the Lord is going to take your master? Yes, I know. Shut up. And Elijah, as I am taken, what do you want from me before I am taken from you? At the end of Psalm 49, or in the middle of Psalm 49, there's a passage where the psalmist says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will take me. The ESV says, receive me. It's the very common Hebrew word, take. It's used for all kinds of things. And it's applied to Enoch. It's applied to Elisha. The psalmist says it's going to be for all of us. And some Greek equivalent was used of Jesus being taken to glory 
and will be used, uh, uh, and, and is used of what will happen when Jesus comes back and takes us to be with him. That's what happens to a faithful servant of our Lord God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this example of a faithful servant, Elijah and then Elisha, in perilous times and dangerous times. Thank you that you were there working, thrilling the hearts of the believers. And thank you that you are still here now and that you will work in the life of your servant Abraham Nuquay as he goes forth to minister in the name of his Savior and Lord, even Jesus, our Savior. Amen.